0: the power of their data. with Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. From baseball's top personalities. The great Chris Russo joins us once again. To the game's top player, Joining
1: us is the All-Star.
0: Matt Chapman. with us. You never know what stories you're going to hear.
1: If you make your way down here, I, I might be able to make some time and go out there and see
2: the great Chris Townsend. This,
0: this? is A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend.
1: Time now for another edition of A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. Today, you're going to hear Dave Parker. You're going to hear Shooty Babbitt and also Steve Sparks, all former athletics. But we'll start with the Cobra. The resume is impressive. Two-time World Series champion, NL MVP in 1978 seven-time All-Star, three-time Gold Glove winner, three-time Silver Slugger Award winner, two-time National League batting champion, led the National League in RBIs in 1985, and of course was a part of the 1989 Oakland Athletics. Here is Dave Parker. Well, our next guest here on A's Cast Live is an absolute baseball legend. What a career he had. Uh, Former Oakland Athletics, starred with the Pirates, starred with the Reds, and has a new memoir out called Cobra dave parker cobra how are you i'm
3: doing fine how are you
1: i'm doing wonderful and i gotta tell you growing up as a kid one of the coolest things uh to see like when you were on the on in the on deck circle for the oakland athletics and you were swinging that sledgehammer you were like the most intimidating guy ever
3: well that's what it was all about trying to be intimidating
1: Well, it definitely worked. And I can tell you also growing up in San Diego, when the Pirates came to town, your team in the 70s, you guys were like rock stars. What was that like, the We Are Family Pirates? Uh,
3: It was great. We had some uh, characters on the team. Doc Ellis was uh, one of the guys that was known to uh, be uh, a little reckless uh, myself, Stargell, Bill Matlock, we had a host of uh, good players, and we didn't mind coming out showing our wear.
1: Well, no doubt about it. When you were writing this, what was it like going back and thinking about your life, and and, and as a kid, and Frank Robinson helping you get into baseball, and just bringing back all these great memories?
3: Well, it, it, it's good to. Uh, Look back over your your career and remember some of the things you did with, with uh, various teams. Uh, Oakland A's had the best team I ever played for. They had everything. They had pitching, uh, relief pitching, speed in the front of the lineup, power in the middle. Uh, we were just uh, an awesome club.
1: Well, and speaking of another rock star club. You know, you you talk about the great players. I mean, when you start talking about Hall of Famers and you got Ricky Henderson and you got Dennis Eckersley, you got Conseco, you got McGuire, you got Hindu. Uh I mean, you uh, Dave Stewart, just that experience of playing on that 1989 team and winning your second World Series. How great was that for you in your career?
3: Oh, it, it was it was uh, super. You know, you had those guys you mentioned, you know, and you got Ricky Henderson leading off, Tony Minster hitting second, Jose hitting third, me hitting fourth, McGuire hitting fifth, Henderson hitting sixth, Box seventh, Tony Phillips eighth, and Walt Weiss ninth. I mean, that's an all star team. So, you know, we uh enjoyed going out and showing baseball and what what we were all about.
1: Well, I I'll tell you this. You know, there, there's some of my friends who are Giant fans who said, well, you know, because of the earthquake, I earthquake or no earthquake, that, that Giant team had no chance against you guys.
3: No, they didn't. We, uh, we wouldn't beat them hands down. They uh, didn't have half of the, the offensive attack that we had. And they didn't have the pitching. They didn't have anything that, that they could throw out there to, to give us a battle. Uh, we were definitely a a much better ball club
1: than them. You you know, so many people remember you as a big power hitter. And what a lot of people forget is what a great hitter you were. You won two National League batting titles. Talk about how you you had the combination of power and the ability to hit for average.
3: Yes, uh, I did. I I had... uh, both things working for me. I was a 5 two player, so uh, I, I uh, was one of those guys that could get an infield hit, hit a lot of doubles, uh, drove in a lot of runs. I was a complete player.
1: You know, I never knew that growing up in Cincinnati, you actually wanted to play football for Ohio State. You would have been like one of the biggest running backs we've ever seen in, in college football.
3: Well, I, I could have held my own. I, I would hit that O-hole right off the center's butt, and bounce outside, and after that it was a foot race because I, I could run too. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of people didn't realize uh, the speed that I had.
1: Yeah, you would have been playing for Woody
3: Hayes. That would have been nice. I met Woody at uh, the Knights of Columbus. Uh, a banquet, and uh, I had a chance to, to meet him and say hello.
1: You know, for, for, for a kid that grew up in Cincinnati, what it mean for you to play with the Cincinnati Reds?
3: It was something I always wanted to do. As a kid, you know, everybody wanted to be a red. You know, you had Frank Robinson, Vader Pinson, uh, John Edwards, the catcher. Uh, we, uh, everybody grew up with that dream of one day being a red. I'm glad I had the opportunity to live that dream.
1: Yeah. And I remember, I mean, you had some great years with the Cincinnati Reds and, you know, we, we talk about, you know, you mentioned you, you've left a, a part of your body basically from Shea stadium to Chavez ravine and playing in the national league and playing in the American league. How many, those years on turf, how tough were they? they on you?
3: They were, they were tough. I I could have probably uh, played a couple more years anyway, uh, regardless if it was turf or not. I had about two more years in me. But uh, the turf was tough on you because uh, it was a slab of concrete with some chipped rubber uh, mm-hmm. on top of the, the concrete. And uh, it was tough to to slide. To catch fly balls, I used to burn burn holes through my pants when I fly to catch a ball. So uh, turf was uh, no joke, and and cost your your body.
1: Yeah, I, I, I feel for you guys who had to play on that, and the football players that had to play on that. That was just, that, that, that was awful. What was it like for you to go into the Cincinnati Reds Hall of Fame? I think you went in with Ken Griffey uh, Sr.,
3: yeah, that, that was a, a thrill, you know, to like, go in with uh, those two guys. And um, being in the Hall of Fame, Look like ain't nobody going to give me my just due in Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. Uh, so that makes uh, the award that much better.
1: Yeah, that's, you know, th- there is a group of you guys who played in your era And I've had them on my show before, whether we're talking about a guy like Dale Murphy, uh, talk about a guy like Steve Garvey, talk about a guy like yourself. When you look at all the awards and all the All-Star Games, the MVP, I I, I, I feel for you because I I believe you should be in the Baseball Hall of Fame. You should have a plaque in that room.
3: Hey, David said I should have a house
1: on that. (laughs) yeah he's a great player too Eric the Red Um, you went on to coach and become a hitting coach what was that like taking your skills of everything you did in your career and then helping these young men get better at the major league level
3: well that was a thrill I kind of picked and choose the guys that I I wanted to work with Uh, Gary Sheffield was like a son and Davis was like a son, Barry Larkin, who gave me props on playing a role with him to get in the Hall of Fame. So uh, I enjoyed working with you and uh, you didn't see it that much. From our, during our day, we used to take guys on the wing and Deal with teaching them how to be a major leaguer and what it took to be a major, major leaguer. And uh, those were the guys that I paid most attention to.
1: What was your relationship like with Roberto Clemente?
3: Well, Roberto taught me how to reach back and get more velocity out of my throws. Uh, he taught me that in spring training of my first major league spring training. Uh, but, uh, him just teaching me that one thing made my arm about 45 miles an hour faster. So, uh, he was very instrumental in, in me being the outfielder that I was. Yeah, he was, uh, truly the great one. And, uh, he taught me a lot. In the short time, I knew him because I only had that one spring, and I think he passed that that uh, winter. So I didn't have time to spend a lot of time with him. But uh, what time I did benefited me a lot.
1: And then I know you also had a very strong relationship with the Hall of Famer Willie Stargell. Talk about your guys' relationship, and boy, did you guys win a lot of big games together.
3: Yeah, pop. Pop pops was uh, very instrumental to me too. Uh, I just watch him walk around and the things that he do. He was teaching you as he was doing that how to be a major leaguer. And uh, Willie played a major role in my success.
1: Well, I gotta tell you, I can't wait to read Cobra a life of baseball and brotherhood. I can tell you, Dave, as a big fan of you growing up, I promise I will promote this big time and help you out. It's an honor to have you on the program. A's fans here in Oakland and the Bay Area, they still love you. They still talk about you. Be well and be safe, and let's do this again later on.
3: All right, anytime you need me, don't hesitate to call.
1: No, the Cobra. I loved watching him as a kid. Well, our next guest, you see him on A's pre- and post-game live on NBC Sports California, and he's one of the top scouts in the business, and he works for the Oakland A's. Former A Shooty Babbitt. Shooty Babbitt, how are you, my friend? Town A, town A, town
4: a, town, a, town, a, town, a, town A. I know you missed that up there in the treehouse, don't you, boy? I know I
1: sure did, man. What's
4: yeah. <laughs> up, Chris Housins?
1: <laughs> I, I'm just, I, 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 I'm telling you, shooty, I might be crying walking into that Oakland Coliseum. I miss it so much.
4: Oh man. I know, man. It's, it's amazing
1: how that wasn't so long
4: ago, but it seems like it's been forever since we've been up there, man. enjoying ourselves, you know, every pre and post game, man. I mean, just having an Oakland party and, uh, but we are warming up, brother. We warming up. It's getting better by the moment. Uh, that, that 12,000 that's gonna be in there opening night is gonna seem like 120,000 compared to where we were last year, man. So uh, I'm just getting excited about what is instead of what isn't and, and what's going to be. So, um, man, I just got back from spring training. I'm um, sorry I was a little late connecting. I'm sitting up here putting a little marinade on these baby backs that I had sitting in the freezer, seasoning up while I was down in. This- Spring training, so I'm about to. Ooh, it's about to get real good up here.
1: <laughs> so tell us what, you, tell us what you saw down at spring training. How good do you think this team can be?
4: I guess my um, theme this will be this year will be just culture and consistency, man. Um, year in and year out, you know it seems like there's always uh, some question marks because of a loss. Um, player that we don't bring back or we lose the free agency or whatever the case may be and how we're going to fulfill those roles but you find yourself more talking about the good things some of the younger players that are maturing um when we see a Dalton Jeffries fighting like he's fighting down there in spring training Jesus Lizardo um turning into an ace right in front of your eyes the first time it seems like the gloves are going to be taken off of and he'll get an opportunity to go out there and get the ball every fifth day Uh, It's just the stories go on and on. Jed Lowry is running around the uh, ballpark like a 25 year old right now. You're talking about rejuvenated. So there's just so much to be excited about. Uh, Nobody in that division is
1: uh,
4: hands down better than anyone else. And I think it's going to be a dogfight just up and down in the American League West this year.
1: Well, I think about Jed and when he when he resigned here, you're like, if he can just come close to what he used to be here in Oakland, a second baseman with extra base hit power and drives and runs and he, and he makes a lot of contact. It's like he's exactly what this lineup needs.
4: Well, how could you not be feeling good, looking good, sounding good when you just came off a $20 million two year vacation? Well, what was it, 10 at bats up in New York City? I mean, come on, man. All they did was rubbed on him every single day to get him right and fine and uh, ready for us over here. So we're getting the best version of what Jeff Lowry's going to be like for the rest of his career. And you know what he was when he's here. He had his best years of his career when he wore the green and gold the last time.
1: Yeah, there's, there's no doubt about it. And I want to get your opinion on pitching because some people think you're, you're going to need a ton of pitchers because these guys didn't get their full workload last year. Other people are going to tell you, you know what, these guys should be fresh, not a problem. How do you think pitching is going to go in 2021?
4: Man, you know, in my humble
1: opinion, Chris Townsend, um, you're going to need a bunch of
4: them. Uh, and I guess people just really forgot that we had already started trending toward a bullpen type era. A bunch of guys are just huff and puff until they try to blow the house down, and all they end up doing is blowing their arms out. So I'm kind of glad that 95 to 97 is just the guy that just throws hard. Uh, there was a time when you saw that, it was like, woo, such and such is throwing 95. Well, everybody's coming in there and throwing 95 to 97. The guys that have paid attention to their craft, that understand that more for, uh, uh, pitching on the outside of the plate, pitching in soft contact get quick and easy outs instead of those extended at-bats, those are the guys that are going to have success. And it takes time, feel, understanding, uh, up and down, um, familiarity with a hitter before you know how to pitch to that guy. So a lot of bodies were in camp. Guys weren't getting the amount of at-bats they needed. Pitchers weren't getting a chance to see as many hitters. Simulation is simulation. Nothing like game day um, or actual game play. So – it's gonna be interesting. That's why I love when I talk about continuity and culture, there's a culture and a continuity that you continue to see with the age in this organization, that there's not a whole lot of holes ever to plug. You've got guys that pretty much fulfill and define their roles when they come here. Um, I'm looking at a guy, for example, like Lou Trevino. Here's a guy who had tremendous success when he was with Trinit and Perrin and probably could have pitched in the ninth inning that year, but since we had it it wasn't necessary. The next year he came back. He didn't pitch well. This guy is looking fresh, looking sharp. We've got about three guys that might be in the clothes down there. So we've got depth. Uh, the guys are going to compete. Um, they're anxious. They're ready to go. And as long as we can get out of there um, healthy. You know, I don't even want to talk about A.J. Puck because you're talking about if he stays ready, Freddie, and bringing what he brings. Man, we're talking about a whole new big team story this year so there's so many things to look forward to in this 2021 season man that that's the biggest thing that I took away from being down in spring training that there's going to be can, can you imagine some of the times that you and I used to just back every night all we talked about was pitching because there was nothing else to talk about with that club and how hard your job was so people don't know how hard your job was during that time not going to be like that, Tony. It's going to be different stories every night, man. And, that, and that's what
1: I'm loving about this team. I, I'm going to be real interested to see how the Rays are going to do it this year. Yarborough, Glass now. And then after that, they're going to try and get a ton of innings from a bunch of guys. As many innings as many guys, you know, have X amount of guys that have at least 100 innings. You think that kind of philosophy can work? It has
4: worked for them, and um, that's why they've had no problems trading away the, 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 the snails, uh, the, uh, all those big-name uh, arms that they've gotten rid of that would have been aces on other clubs. Remember, they're the one that started that opener stuff, pitching um, closers in the first inning. They do it you know, in a statistically analytical way. Um, they've had success by marginalizing how much money that they have to pay. And they've minimized damage by going out making foolish mistakes. So what they do is they pay that guy, you know, when, a, I mean, they trade that guy when, a, when the money is up and they get some value back and they plug the hole. I just think uh, it, it's going to be wholesale this year, man. You better have a stable full of arms now because it's going to be a long,
1: long year, man. Yeah, especially after coming off just playing 60, now going, you know, because you, you can trick it up and fool people for 60, but you can't hide your warts in 162 games.
4: Mm-mm. And, you know, I know a lot of these guys threw up indoors and um, tried to do things to stay in shape, but it's nothing like actual being on the field. And I know um, the things that we've been through here with the corona, that's um, limited everybody. Those guys that were there for 60 games and living in that bubble, you think that they jumped right out of that and went back to working out, man, they wouldn't hug their families and spend time indoors with the people that they've missed all that time. So everybody's behind. Um, I think we'll just have to be patient, don't have the expectations that we normally have. Uh, remember, these guys are human beings, even though they're the best in the world. But uh, let, 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 let's, let's um, first 30 days, you know, let's see what happens. You know, as far as guys' health are concerned and let the cliques break in and the gloves break in a little bit before we start, you know, talking about what they're going to be and what they're not going to be.
1: You know, we talked to Matt Olson at the start of spring, and he told us about how, you know, he just got too wrapped up in video last year and, and, and got to him, got to his head, and now he's going back to more seaball, ball. Is this the year where Matt Olson truly breaks out and is a monster?
4: Wow, that's amazing that you would ask me that because that was a question that was posed on me for the preview show. And I just feel that the amount of success that he's had uh, in a short period of time with his power numbers before he really even learned how to hit. I mean, remember Matt Olson? he used to have his hands into his body. He came to the big leagues um, having success in the minor leagues with holding his hands next to his body. But boy, they start picking him apart right away. And he made that adjustment when he took his hands away from his body. And man, he's just been slicking it out the yard ever since and becoming a better hitter. Uh, I know he's got a little uh, sour taste in his mouth about losing that gold glove to Evan White. And I think some of his offensive um, insufficiencies, as far as average and stuff, hurt that because Evan White didn't hit nothing. You know, he um, he is a good um, first baseman, but he is not Matt Olson. In my humble opinion, as a major league scout, defensively, and what I watched, Matt Olsen and what he did for Chapman, Marcus Simeon, um, Profar, anybody else that they put over their second base, he turned those guys into gold glove candidates at the Oakland College He's the best in the business for me. And uh, I know that he wants to um, take a hold of that standing again, so I'm very anxious to watch matt in this year for sure
1: minor leaguers by the time they get to spring they haven't played in 20 months how is this going to affect minor league baseball this season
4: sad uh it's sad man i mean everybody's got
1: a story to tell
4: i mean we're talking about baseball and there are people in real life that have some issues that we can't even comprehend but since we're talking baseball uh, just for example, there are multiple organizations that drafted kids in 2019 that did not even get a chance to put their uniform on in 2020, that are going to get released in 2021 because of the drafted kids in 2020. They just don't have enough teams. The the, the commissioner uh, eliminated 40 affiliates, therefore there are 40 less teams to house 25 times 40 more players. So you do the math. So it, 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 it's some dreams that have been crushed. Uh, it's a tough business. Uh, I can remember as a kid just dreaming and wanting to be a professional and having to work my tail off and dream my tail off, sweat my tail off. Everything that I did when I was a kid as far as playing baseball, I dreamed it, I slept it, and that's what I wanted to do. Lo and behold, I got lucky. You know, I got an opportunity, and I didn't. I didn't take it for granted. Maybe with things being even more difficult now, our kids will understand that nothing is promised. Uh, they're going to have to dig a little deeper. They're going to have to be the best image of themselves and some. Because once you get that opportunity, there's no one on the planet going to do anything to keep you from uh, from from wearing that professional uniform. So uh, it's going to be tough, man. It, it, the competition just got stiffer. I mean, there are kids, high school seniors that didn't get a chance to play their senior year uh, they are not getting a chance to be seen right now. So, it's, uh, man, it's, t- it's tough on the young minor league like it's always been. But hang in there, bro. You know, you got to keep the faith. Uh, that's the wonderful thing about something. We all dream about being something, and who knows what's going to happen. But, it, 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 man, this is 2021 is going to be great because there's going to be a lot of dreams that are going to be fulfilled.
1: You're gonna have to dust off all those
4: suits. Oh, brother! Looky here. I spent the last two weeks getting combos together. I got about twelve right now because I'm gonna be on the road. I'm gonna be traveling. I'm gonna be getting it this year. So when I'm stopping in to get one, all I have to do is pick one off the off the rack, and it'd be good to go. So they ready, Tony? I'm ready to go, man. I've been waiting a whole year to get back, bro.
1: Best dressed man in baseball. <laughs>
4: Thank you, Tony. It's, I am just, uh, I am one of the most blessed dudes in the business. Just put it like that. I don't take nothing for granted. I know how wonderful a job that we have just to be able to call it a job is insane in itself. And for me to be saying that I've been a part of this for going on my 44th years, just, you know, out of this world, man. So uh, you never know when it might be your last day, your last game, man. So you better wear it well. And just like my man always said, the great Sam Skinner, if you, ain't gonna be a good sport don't play i'm just trying to be the best sport i can be bro
1: (laughs) i can't wait to see it shooty i really can't
4: likewise tony i miss you man and um appreciate everything you've been doing to keep this stuff together man people i don't think they understand all the things that go on in the back room trying to make things available for them but uh hang in there aids fans uh we thank you you know, the ones that are in that Coliseum, you're loyal, you're tremendous. Uh, you make everybody feel like, you know, they're your favorite player, and that is a wonderful thing. So just hang in there, and I'm looking forward to seeing everybody at the Coliseum, and uh, I'm wishing the best and the most blessings for everybody out there that's listening. You are
1: the best. We'll talk soon, hopefully Thursday.
4: Thank you, Thank you Tony. I'll be looking forward to it, baby.
1: Shooty always fires you up, right, doesn't he? And our last guest, Steve Sparks, the knuckleballer, played for the A's, and had a long career, and now was one of the broadcasters for the Houston Astros. Here is Sparksy. Steve, how you doing? Chris Townsend with the A's. I'm doing great. You guys had a long day, didn't you? Yeah, we had a long day. And, and, and boy, did we need a victory.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I know the feeling, man. Sometimes those droughts can feel like they last a, a month long.
1: I, I got to tell you, I mean, it, it the way we were rooting on today, you would have thought it was like the seventh game of the World Series.
2: <laughs> I don't blame you, man. Just get, to get off the snide, can you imagine some players who start off over, for, you know, 19 to begin the season, how badly they're begging on every fly ball that they hit that somebody will trip?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and, we, and we had that. I mean, finally today some guys broke out and, Hopefully, it's going to help. I and and I think for you, how nice is it going to be to have baseball in front of you to call instead of being off a monitor?
2: Yeah, these monitors, you know. And I, I don't want to gripe about our jobs because our jobs are nothing, you know. They're they're fun and it's a great job, but it's difficult. It's so much harder uh, to do what we do off of these monitors. So I'm anxious to uh, have everything in front of us where we can see the. Uh, Uh, the umpires where the ball actually is and uh, where the runners are on scoring plates, and things of that nature. So it's going to be fun. And plus it's going to be fun to have 50% capacity at Minute Maiden Park tomorrow. So I I think a lot of the fans are chomping at the bit to get back into uh, a stadium and root for their team.
1: No doubt. And we had Blummer on when we uh, hosted you guys the first time around and, you know, just talking about, you know, the Astros and the swagger's back, and that's the one thing I think we noticed, and I think people down in Anaheim, whether you're booing them and you're calling them cheaters, just tell us what you've seen with this team so far this year.
2: Well, what I've noticed is, and they flipped the switch going into the playoffs last year, and I've never seen a team be able to do that. And You guys witnessed it firsthand that, you know, they looked dead, and you guys saw them toward the end of the season, too. They looked like they were beat. They didn't look like they had any life in them. And when the playoffs started, they played Minnesota. And then they played the, the A's in the division series and even Tampa, the way they stormed back in that series. <clears throat> I just couldn't believe that they were able to turn on that switch the way, the, the way they did. And I felt like there was a few players, and we talked about this last year, Chris, that you know, there are certain players that, that wear their emotions on their sleeve a little bit more, maybe a little more sensitive that were embarrassed and shamed and maybe, maybe fought with bouts of depression to a degree uh, and it showed on their play in the field, but they got to spring training and it, it looks a little different. You know, I think, I think the playoffs uh, kind of catapulted uh, this team into to what we're seeing right now. And, and uh, I think with all the booing and, and all the jeers, uh, it's going to keep them pretty darn focused, uh, even through some of the, the lulls of the season.
1: Yeah, and it's going to be a lot of fun and hopefully the A's can get back in this thing and really, really have that battle because, you know, as much as everybody's always going to talk about Red Sox and Yankees, now the chic one is Dodgers-Padres. I don't think Mm -hmm. naturally people understand how good this rivalry is between the Astros and the A's.
2: Yeah, you know, and there's a lot of players on the A's that used to be Astros and and vice versa. It just feels like, You know they've had some dust ups and they've had a lot of uh, comments uh, post game that uh, have kind of riled the other team and uh, there's there's been a lot of hit by pitches and sometimes you're scratching your head and you're wondering was that on purpose or not but it it's made for a lot of drama and that's what we need in the game and I think it's fun I think this rivalry is really good Uh, and I think Oakland you know and I played for the A's and, and I understand where they are and I know how passionate the fan base is. And I love them. And it's one of my favorite stops ever because of their fans. But they're they're on a shoestring budget. And the Astros aren't, but their rosters are similar in this, Chris. And it's going to show its ugly head at some point. And it's going to be really evident to you guys when you see it, is that they are wafer thin as far as their depth goes, especially as, as when you look at their starting lineup. Pitching, I think that they they develop pitchers really well. And we saw a million guys roll out there in spring training that look like they're major league ready. But as far as their position players, it's an, it's an amazing drop-off to anybody. If somebody gets hurt in their lineup.
1: Well, I got to tell you, you know, the, the, the core guys though, just wear us out. And Michael Brantley, I mean, if he played against the A's every day, he'd have a plaque in Cooperstown. I mean, we really, well, we, we can't get that guy out. I got
2: news for you, Chris. There, there's 10 other teams that say the exact same thing. <laughs> yeah, I'm not kidding. I mean, he does that all the time. And you guys were saying the same thing about Altuve a few years ago, too. I mean, you could not get him out, especially in Oakland. So, uh, you know, guys stick out for, for what they're able to do. And I think a lot of it has to do with the outfield seems so large at the Coliseum that Brantley, who goes line to line, just looks like he just puts the ball exactly where he wants it, like he's heading off of a tee.
1: Yeah, he's such a special talent. You know, one of the big stories uh, at the start of the season was Carlos Correa turning down that 120, and then we are dealing with uh, Lindor turning down 320 million, eventually signing for around 340. Did you ever think in your career, you, 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 you a player you'd see guys turning down hundreds of millions of dollars.
2: You know, we were saying this back then. I I remember, you know, there was conversations in the clubhouses and the dugouts when Cecil Fielder was the first $3 million man. And then so and is the next, the first $4 million man. And now we're seeing, $30 million contract for eight or nine years like it's it's nothing. So um, I'm not surprised. I I don't know where it'll end. But I do know that it's going to end at some point because of the luxury tax threshold. And because of that, it's going to be an artificial barrier for teams to go absolutely nuts with five of those types of contracts on any roster. So you're going to have to pick and choose maybe one or two that you can do that with. And the Astros have an extension with Bregman and Altuve in place right now. That's why it probably doesn't make sense to, to sign Springer to that huge deal or Correa. Uh, but they're going to they're gonna have to pony up uh, at, at some point here pretty soon with, with uh, some more of these guys. We knew this. you know, uh, A lot of teams, uh, the Royals had a lot of free agents come, come to fruition at all the same time. So there is a quick halt. And what the Astros tried to do and and what they were saying is they felt like they could sustain a pretty good team for a while if they laddered some of these stars coming to the big league year after year so they weren't becoming free agents at the same time. So each year they're going to have to make a decision or two at this point to see if there's relevance there.
1: What do you do as a front office if you know this guy wants – I don't even know what he wants. He turned down 120. So I don't know if he wants over two. I don't know if he wants three. You got the trading deadline coming up. And if you think you can't afford him and he's going to walk, could it be a point to where maybe you could potentially trade him before the deadline? Because you probably could get a lot for him.
2: Yeah, I think so. But it's a, it's a rental at that point, And the Astros are hoping that they're in, in the race you know, at that, at that stage. So why would you want to get rid of, you know, uh, yeah. arguably your team leader? He, I mean, he really is. I think he's their team leader. He's the most vocal. Uh, he's the most eloquent in all that. But it's really hard Chris, to commit a really long-term contract to somebody who hasn't played more than 110 games uh, very often. You know, there's just always something uh, that happens with Correa, and uh, twice it's, it's happened with his back. And when you're talking about a six foot four shortstop at the age of 26 or 27 years old, you worry about it when they have back issues.
1: And, and you know the guy that started out really well, and he's always fun to watch. And and I know you as a former pitcher, you appreciate. And we've talked about we think he is a future Hall of Famer, uh, Zach Greinke. Mm-hmm. The way he has started yeah. out, how much fun has it been watching him so early in the season? But to watch him just Slice and dice people.
2: Yeah, that's what that's what I look forward to more than anything is uh getting a chance to watch him every fifth day. I, I kind of smile just when I wake up that morning because I, I know I get a chance to go watch something that we used to watch. And, and what's fun about it is it's somebody who changes speeds on all of his pitches and, and he's not gonna be a cookie cutter in his approach every game. So you can't really game plan for a pitcher like Zach Grinky. And I think the biggest reason why, Chris is because he's so athletic. And I think Dylan Bundy's like this to an extent with the Angels. He's an athlete too. But I think they read swings real well. And they can see what somebody's trying to do. And if they feel like somebody's trying to pull the ball, say, a right-hander against them, then they're just going to tease them away, you know, throw sliders away. And, you know, they can prey on guys' weaknesses because they can read swings real well.
1: Yeah, it's called pitching. And it's like now it's like everybody is just – everybody's a thrower. Everybody wants to get up there and everything they throw is hard. It's as hard as you can with your fastball. It's as hard as you can with your breaking ball. And then all of a sudden, Zach Greinke gets up there. It's like it's, it's like watching pitching again. It's so refreshing.
2: Right. So, so if everybody's going to go out there and throw as hard as they can now and they get you five innings, isn't that going to devalue the starting pitcher? I mean, why are these contracts so exorbitant for these starting pitchers when they're not – Averaging seven innings a game anymore They're averaging more like five and a third And it's putting more of the uh, Impetus on on the bullpen Why why aren't they getting paid a little bit more because of it
1: Well doesn't it make you want to throw up In your mouth when you see like oh the guy's Getting taken out in the fourth inning with like 70 pitches you're like Really?
2: Right yeah and they're taking off their hat And pointing up to the sky And uh, (laughs) on their way into the dugout I know that drives uh, the Astros Pitching coach nuts Um, You know, and he's looking for guys. Uh, Jake Odorizzi, who who they got uh, during the spring, is scheduled to make his first start on April 13th, so that's around the corner, and he's more of a pitcher's type pitcher uh, who who should probably uh, eat innings, and I think eating innings is going to garner uh, a lot of good results for teams who can get two or three of their pitchers to eat some innings.
1: Well, my whole problem when people say wins for starting pitchers don't matter anymore, my problem is this. It's like, okay, you go four, you go five, and then all of a sudden you're expecting all these different relievers to cover all these innings, and you're expecting – I mean, if you have like, let's just say five relievers in the game, to ask all five to be great on that night and not to have at least one of them screw up, I mean, that's the problem.
2: That's, that's, that's the best point, Chris. I mean, that's, that's what you're asking for every one of them to come through and be at their best in a close game. And, and that's asking too much, I, I think, especially to be consistent. So, you know, it's weird what they're going to have to do this year. if They're going to have eight relievers say they're going to have to have at least three of them that have options left. You can't have veterans down there all the way through because you're going to have to shuttle these guys back and forth between the alternate site and AAA all season long to be able to uh mop up all the innings you're going to have to brent strom the pitching coach for the astros added it up uh when he had all the pitchers that pitched for the astros last year and if you increased their uh percentage of innings by 30 percent this year you'd still be 400 innings shy of what you needed to, to do to cover a, a season
1: you know, when I was a kid growing up in San Diego, there was a San Diego school of baseball and Brent Strom was one of the owners yeah. and he was a part of it with like Bob clock. And then later, like Tony Blair, Trammell. Trammell was there. And, uh, yeah, yep. Trammell's a good friend of my brother. They play golf. Um, uh, and I think about Brent and I think about his age, but I think about how he is aged and he's aged with the analytics. He's, he's aged with the data. I mean, just talk about what an incredible pitching coach he is, that, that, that he has just evolved with the sport. And that what that's what makes him so special.
2: Yeah. You know, he was an innovator a few years ago when you were talking about pitchers pitching at the top of the zone Once we started to notice everybody was trying to elevate the baseball and Brent Strom knew a year or two before that that there was going to be a gigantic uh, upswing in pitchers who were able to to land pitches in the top of the strike zone. You know what's funny about that is he's so creative, Chris, that it's not just the fastball up there. When we saw Garrett Cole and and Justin Verlander, you would think that they were mistakes but they were by by design throwing sliders up and away to hitters just because of the uppercut. Everybody's got this exit velocity and the launch angles in the back of their mind to get the ball up in the air. So why throw sliders low? They're throwing sliders up in the zone and it was working like like a charm. So uh, I can't say enough about Brent Strom. He's got two assistant pitching coaches right now, Uh, but man, he's got more energy and more knowledge than anybody put together right now. And what the Astros have coming through their farm system right now as far as arms, and we see it in spring training, it's unbelievable how many guys can spin it uh, and, and do all the things that, that deviates from the standard of other pitches that makes them special.
1: You mentioned Verlander. Do you have any idea the timetable on him? Will we see him at all this year?
2: I can't imagine him starting I can imagine him coming in and getting an inning or two, but I can't imagine him getting ramped up enough to to make a difference at the end. Now, in the back of his mind, he's probably wanting to show teams because he's going to be a free agent that he's healthy, and he's probably going to press the issue and try to get back as quickly as possible. But he didn't have Tommy John surgery until September last year, and that's typically at least 12 months, and it's usually closer to 14 to 16 months until uh, somebody recovers from that fully.
1: So let's end on this. You know, one thing that we noticed, and I, I know with your Don, uh, Dusty said once he, he knows his knees are healthy, he'll move them up in the order. Well, he looked real healthy against us. And I'm just wondering, you lose Springer, you hate that, but now you got Alvarez. Has he kind of filled that void so far?
2: I think the, the void's going to be filled by the underperformance of all four infielders last year to a pretty large degree. I think that's where you start. And I think Jordan, uh, he's a force. I think he's one of the best hitters in baseball. I put him up there with Juan Soto and Acuna and Mike Trout, just a notch below. He's not up there, but he's close. When you look at the approach, the ability to hit the ball to all fields, the power, uh, he's the whole package, I think, as far as just an opposing figure in a lineup who makes everybody else better. But I think it starts with the four infielders. They all had brutal years last year. And I think you can expect all of them to have better years this year.
1: Well, it's always great having you on. And I said this to Bloomer, too. I can't wait till you guys come back out to Oakland. I mean, that's kind of been the toughest thing about COVID-19 is that none of us have been able to see each other.
2: That's it. Yeah, we, we, miss, we miss you guys. We love coming to the Bay Area. Uh, I love the stadium, even. You know, a lot of people knock the stadium, but I love everything about uh, the fans there, the team, I, I, I think the world, I think Bob Melvin's the best manager in baseball. Uh, it's always fun to be around him and, and Korak and Petronio and Fosse. all those guys, uh, it's a blast. So, uh, hopefully, you know, second half of the season, uh, we'll, we'll get a trip out there and, uh, we can be doing this live.
1: Yeah. Well, we just had Fossey on before you and he wanted us, he wanted us to tell you to say hi. Well, Hey, have you shaken hands with him lately? Uh, At 74 years old, it's still a death grip.
2: That is no fun. That's like uh, sausage fingers. And I've got pretty big mitts, and he makes me feel like a four-year-old girl every time I see him.
1: (laughs) Well, be well, be safe, and uh, let's talk soon. Sounds good, Chris. Take care, man. Well, that will do it for A's Unfiltered. We want to thank Dave Parker, Shooty Babbitt, and Steve Sparks. Now back to A's Cast, powered by iHeartRadio.